All right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, welcome to the first episode of Rock and Roll Film Club. And this is a podcast where we talk about music biopics. I'm Kathleen Mahoney. My name's Ryan Major. And today we're going to talk about the 1987 movie, La Bamba. Woo! La Bamba. About the life of Richie Valens. Starring a fresh-faced Lou Diamond Phillips, this movie came out in 1987. But before we start talking about the movie, let's introduce our guest. We're here today with Amin Zarukian, joining us from Los Angeles. Welcome. Up, hey, thanks. great to have you. Thanks so much for having me, guys. This is fun. <laughs> it's already it's already fun. It's already we're fun. Already, um, so we're meeting via Zoom right now, and. Amin has come equipped with a number of La Bamba themed backgrounds. He's really setting the tone <laughs> for this conversation. <laughs> I, wish, I wish they could see it, but it's cool. That's the problem with podcasts. Amin has a number of backgrounds featuring the character Bob from La Bamba, who we'll discuss momentarily. But before we do, let's talk about Richie Valens, the central figure in this movie. So Richie Valens, He's a, a rock and roll singer, guitar player, 17 years old when he died the day the music died. Very brief career. Yeah, and he died in 1959, which we have to kind of remember what's going on in music at that time. This is, you know, before the Beatles. Rock and roll still in its formative years. Yeah, really, really early days. All right, so that's Richie Valens. Let's talk about this movie. Um, so we asked Amin to be on this podcast because... Ryan recently posted a list of movies he's watched since quarantine began, and it's many. Impressive. But Amin commented to say that uh, La Bamba is his favorite movie. He really picked that one out, and it was right before we were going to talk about it. The stars aligned. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's my fa it's one of my favorite movies. I'm saying it's like the top all time favorite is would be difficult. There's a lot to love about the movie. Uh, Ryan disappeared for a sec, but he's, he's back now. Yeah, Ryan, stay put. I'm sorry. So I think this movie is interesting because unlike a lot of other biopics and definitely music biopics, Richie's life, as we were just saying, was super short. So we don't, we're not really working with a lot of content here, a lot of biography. Um, so it's really a movie about it, his family and his first girlfriend within the span of like two years plus you know him starting his recording career but despite all, all this it does manage to hit a lot of the beats you see in other music biopic type movies you see a lot of the things kind of play out that you're going to see um in other movies e even with compressed timeline one thing i thought was really fascinating is uh since Richie appears to be uh, just like an all-around wonderful human being in the movie. Uh, the person who has to do the most uh, changing and growth is his brother, Bob. Who is not a musician. He's a troubled brother. Um, but yeah, Bob is basically the second main character. Um, and he is a terror. He's a nightmare. <laughs> oh, he, he's, he's a... Uh, he's a 
pot slinging biker hard drinking uh shit kicker always getting into trouble always in sunglasses always in my feeder understood okay he's just misunderstood (laughs) it's misunderstood but that's the beauty of of the bob character he he's the one who changes who uh you know has the redemption arc with the movie I mean, even big milestones in Richie's life, we see through Bob's perspective. Like when he goes to American Bandstand, it's Bob watching it at home. That's true. Or the day that he find, Richie finds out he has a recording contract, it's the same day that Bob finds out he won an art contest. Won, like oh, a- yeah. That's right. And it's not, you know, and Richie always upstages him. Over and over. Story of damn life. Richie seems to not really understand that Bob is a nightmare until towards the end of the movie, but he was busy yeah. busy with rock and roll. Yeah, Richie, he's more of a singularly focused kind of character. Richie is motivated by love for his family and belief in his ability to succeed as a rock and roll star. Yeah, like a lot of other music biopics, too, this movie shows like zero time of Richie practicing or learning guitar. He just plays his first show and the whole room is into it. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a, a couple of scenes in the first half of the movie that you're, you can see play out over and over anytime there's a movie about musicians, real or fictional. There's the, uh, there's the audition where there's skeptical band leader who uh, doesn't think that they need a new guitar player. And then, of course, Richie wows everybody else in the band. They're like, wow, this guy's in. And then uh, the early local gig where tons of people come out and it's a big deal and they make a bunch of money. Of course, Bob ruins that also. He does. He does. He shows up drunk and rowdy. Somehow everyone in the room starts punching each other. One of those. <laughs> it's like a it's like a normal night at O'Brien's, right? I'm pretty sure uh, the Southern California function hall that Richie plays his show at had a much higher capacity than uh, little local spots like O'Brien's down the street from me. It was maybe more of an Elks, Elks Lodge type scenario. Yeah, yeah, I think it was like a VFW Elks Lodge. I, yeah. I recently looked up into some of these filming locations since it's my favorite movie. And uh, I found where that is and I hope to go visit someday. Oh, really? Is it a real film? I make a little pilgrimage. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, God, that would be great for this podcast, wouldn't it? But I guess there's no video. Maybe we could do like supplemental content. We'll put it on the Instagram. I think that's well, a great idea. The thing is, I don't know if one if people are going to hear this, but we're in a quarantine, guys. And oh, yeah. Sorry to bring it up. Sorry, but <clears throat> I can't actually well, go visit. What better time for escapism through rock and roll Hollywood movies? That's right. It's true. It's true. You know what? I was thinking as I was watching this movie and witnessing a 17-year-old Richie Valens get on that airplane that we knew would lead him to fall to that, his death. That you know we don't have a bad right now. Flight. Okay. Yep. Here's another thing that I want to talk about. 
speaking of the plight. Um, so the movie starts with a nightmare that Richie's having of a plane crash. And this kind of is like peppered throughout the movie. He keeps having these nightmares about planes crashing and, you know, he tells people he hates flying. And I kind of thought like maybe this was just sort of like some cheap like foreshadowing, like, okay, we know it's coming. It's we know it's coming, but I read that um, there actually was a plane crash above his school when he was like a young teenager and two planes like crashed into each other and the debris like fell on people, students in the playground and like a bunch of people died, but he was not- An unspeakable tragedy. Yeah, so he really truly was terrified of planes and had this like super scarring thing happen to him. But he wasn't there, right? And he wasn't there. He, he wasn't was like there. at a family funeral or something. He was at a funeral, yeah. At his dad's funeral, I think. So we've talked a little bit about Richie. We've talked a little bit about Bob. But, but uh, another major character in this movie is Richie's mom, uh, who teaches him to be tough, care for his family, and provides a lot of support for him. Uh, she even enlists Bob and his, you know, his illustration skills to paint flyers for his show and Richie swears he's gonna buy his mom a house someday which is you know a real dream because at the start of the movie they're migrant workers picking fruit somewhere in California. Yes um so I don't think we talked about this yet but Richie's family is Mexican-American and yeah they're a migrant farming family kind of moving around Southern California. And I was reading that the director of the movie um, is also of Chicano heritage. Um, what is his name? Luis Valdez. And he grew up in a farming family. And I thought this was pretty interesting. When he was like a baby, his family's or his family got a farm because the Japanese Americans who had been living there were, you know, sent to an internment camp after after uh, Pearl Harbor. So he kind of grew up in relative prosperity, but then when the war ended, it was like back to normal. You know, all of the white people came home from the war and took the farms back over. And um, he was kind of, his family was like put kind of back into uh, moving around from farm to farm. So that sort of like led him to be an activist in the Chicano movement. And um, so I feel like you kind of see that in this movie because, um, you know, Richie, even though he doesn't speak Spanish, there's like a lot of sort of talk about his heritage and even like the song La Bamba, we see how he's inspired to convert that into a rock and roll song. I'm not sure if that really happened, um, the way the movie shows it. Wild Tijuana times. Wild Tijuana. Yeah, it's kind of, kind of a mystical happening. Um, well, I actually, I do really admire that the movie, part of the, uh, it just seems like they're trying to sort of reclaim Richie's Chicano heritage because at the time, you know, it was the opposite. Uh, there's a scene where his manager, Bob Keen, is coming up with new names that aren't going to sound Latin. And that's how we get to Richie Valens from Valenzuela. There was a T in there too. That was a nice touch. Right. Valenzuela was our dad's name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so like kind of the centerpiece of the movie is the trip to mexico with bob it happens uh happens in the middle um and uh yeah after talk about that. finding some uh minor initial success um uh, 
Bob takes Richie down to Tijuana and uh, they drink a bunch of tequila because if you're making a rock and roll biopic, somebody needs to, there needs to be uh, a substance abuse portion. Uh, yeah. R- Richie, uh, Bob takes Richie to uh, choose a sex worker, but uh, he becomes enthralled when he hears the band at the bar start to play La Bamba, a traditional folk song, and he starts strumming his guitar. He's inspired. What do you think of that? And I will say that, um, yeah, so Bob is trying to offer, give him this pick of prostitutes, and Richie's like not into it. And yeah, so the band starts playing La Bamba. He has his guitar with him, of course, because he takes it with him everywhere. Um, but he goes up to the stage and he like fixates on the harp player for some reason. He's just like staring and locking in with the harp player. And then he's like slowly starts playing along and figuring it out. I thought that was weird, but whatever. Did that really happen? Uh, we, don't, we don't know. Don't know. Worth mentioning that that is uh, Los Lobos. Yes. 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 That is Los Lobos. Who did all the music for the movie. All the along, Richie Valens covers. Actually, along with... Carlos Santana and uh, uh, another composer, but I do like that. Yeah, again, they try to connect uh, Richie's Latin heritage with contemporary musicians when the movie was made. So that's pretty cool. I did listen um, to uh, the Richie Valens recordings with the Los Lobos ones this morning, and it's pretty spot on. They're like very faithful covers. Even the voices. They did a nice job. They did a nice job. Yeah. Um, So when uh, during the trip to Mexico, uh, there's this is something you see in like so many rock and roll movies. There's kind of like a surreal, mystical part that sort of, uh, you know, tries to make it seem like rock and roll is a gift from the gods of some kind. Uh, Rishi wakes up in a shack in the desert in Mexico full of stuffed animals and meets a strange old man who cooks a snake. Um, he's, <laughs> he's changed from his experience in Tijuana. He's physically changed. He, he gets a tattoo um, and he gets a necklace. Um, a talisman he, necklace. He, a talisman necklace, yeah, which uh, he then starts wearing everywhere after his trip to Mexico and uh, during the heady days of success that followed. Um, what does the necklace represent? I mean, I, I think it's some sort of good luck charm. Uh, you know, what, does it represent his... Man, I feel like... I always thought it was like, well... <clears throat> Well, you kind of have to, we have to, might have to explain what happens in that. <laughs> yes, case. I agree that it's okay. A- also, this is All like right. within the last half an hour of the movie. It was a pretty interesting choice to just like throw that in there. Like, oh no, he has a good luck necklace that just broke um, right before the plane crash. Okay, so. Yeah, well, in a bit, in, in a, a fight, fight with we're fast forwarding yeah. a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a party, there's Bob. a party at, um, Richie's house after Richie's been on the road on tour and he comes back and his mom is having a party for him and Bob is like super TO'd about this all the attention that Richie's getting Bob has been sober for a month at this point but 
you know, no one really cares. Um, and then they end up getting in a fight and I think Bob rips it off or something, the necklace. Yeah. 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 And that breaks the necklace. And that's Richie's last face to face meeting with Bob shortly thereafter. Uh, it's off to the winter dance party tour. Yep. I think the, uh, to me, I feel like the necklace, his trip to Mexico when he hears La Bamba and is transformed, I feel like Richie discovers his superpower through, you know, reconnecting with his heritage. Comes back and, you know, he's yes. on a meteoric rise up, basically up until Bob breaks his necklace. You're right. And he kind of insists on covering La Bamba. They're like, no, that'll never work. And he really pushes it. Yes, yes. His manager, Bob Keen, uh, didn't want him to record it because it was a folk song. By the way, Bob Keen is played by Joe Pantoliano. And he's great. Right. He's always great. Right, Great and Sopranos. Oh, yeah, Great and Sopranos. The Matrix. <laughs> it's a rock and roll movie, right? <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, Bob Keane of Delphi Records. Yeah. Well, what about the uh, what about the Forbidden Romance? The forbidden oh yeah, romance the aspect. other the other uh, big relationship in this movie, you know, besides Bob and Richie, is uh, Richie and his girlfriend Donna. You know why? Because her dad's a racist. <laughs> Did you notice that they're always all home yeah. whenever Richie would? Oh, yeah. He goes over, he knocks on the door, he calls on the phone. Everyone's home all the time. I don't know. Her dad, uh, you know, he works He works at a car dealership. You'd think he'd be at work a little bit more. Uh, but, you know, he, he, go, he really goes to great lengths to uh, keep Donna away from Richie because... Yeah, even lying, even lies. Yeah, uh, yeah. What kind of example is he setting for his daughter when he lies in front of her because he's a racist? <laughs> I think he's setting a poor example. Um, this um, is. I was reading that. I don't know. There seems to be some debate as to whether Richie actually had a girlfriend named Donna. There was definitely a Donna in his high school class, but unclear about whether he was dating someone named Donna. And well, Don, Don, Donna existed. I, I remember seeing some like interview with oh, her really? or something. Oh, that's great. There was a real Donna, but I don't know to what extent their relationship. So uh, in the movie, Donna and his, you know, his forbidden romance with her is the reason he writes his hit song, Donna. So we actually, of the, the three biggest hits by Richie Valens we see we see stories about all of them he you know when he's he can't hang out with Donna anymore he writes her a song 
when he goes to Mexico, he hears La Bamba. And then, come on, let's that. go. He just says it all the time throughout the movie. Come on, let's go. Like his catchphrase. I. <laughs> yeah. And then we, we see him recording Great. that, and he just makes up words a bunch of different times until Bob Keen asks him to sing the same words over and over. <laughs> Which, you know, fair. <laughs> Um, all right, let's talk about some of the stunt casting in this movie, as Ryan called it when we were talking offline. Um, there are some famous musicians playing other famous musicians in this movie. This is, this, they're like ahead of their time on this because they started doing this all the time in the 2000s. But, uh, you know, in, in the 90s, they were relegated to soundtracks. I don't even know about the 80s. But um, we, got, we got two big cameos. Uh, we've got Brian Setzer as Eddie Cochran. Brian Setzer of Eddie Cochran, who was, who was his hero. Yeah. So he got to play his own. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's actually, it, it makes sense. He kind of looks like him. He sings a lot like him and made a career out of, Basically. you know, playing, yeah. trying to play Eddie Cochran type music. I did, have, I did have one little thing. I don't know if uh, Eddie Cochran was capable of the virtuistic shredding solos that uh brian setzer kind of put in there but um you know i don't know if brian setzer can help it either what do you think i mean yeah i, I think i think i think he was he uh hammed it up a little bit in that regard that's okay but it's hollywood it's okay yeah movie magic hey that was wonderful then you have uh marshall crenshaw as buddy holly love marshall yeah. crenshaw so much and uh yeah he covered at least one song in there we, we got to see him play god his voice sounds so similar to buddy holly's it kind of looks like him too yeah <laughs> i was i was recently in a in the same room as him and i was no too way. nervous to talk about to talk about how much I loved his performance. Uh, oh, <laughs> man. You blew it. And you it. know what? He also, um, <laughs> in the movie Peggy Sue Got Married, he is in a Buddy Holly cover band in that movie. So, Ooh. typecast. Maybe you'll go here someday, but we want to talk about Buddy Holly and the Buddy Holly story starring Gary Busey. Oh, yeah. oh it's in the queue. Well, you can see some of the exact same scenarios play out but then also some very similar but different situations play out. Hmm, very descriptive, Ryan. Yeah, although that, that movie's like totally bullshit because he's definitely playing a late 70s Strat when it was like 1958 or whatever. Why even make the movie? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was complete. It had the big headstock. It was well, just not God. cool. You need that attention to detail. Which this movie does have, I got to say. Really? Yeah, La Bamba, I think they did a pretty good yeah, job. Yeah, actually, I, I did think that I mean, about all the... Uh, live performance scenes like i feel like they did a really nice job of like pretending to play the instruments and the instrumentation always matched up with what we were hearing yeah i feel like maybe the sound systems were a little better than credible but uh, i do feel like uh they did a very thorough job in trying to make it real during the music portions yeah i did notice that there were lots of scenes when lou, lou diamond phillips was playing that his face and hands are in the same shot which you don't always get when it's an actor with an instrument it was like okay that those are really his hands He's i think it's that. a lot easier with guitar yeah, than piano <laughs> so one there was one other kind of musician cameo that uh not somebody quite as famous as marshall crenshaw or brian setzer but 
the the dude who plays Jackie Wilson during uh, his appearance is this guy uh, Howard Huntsbury, who he had uh, two minor hits in the early '80s with an R&B group called Click, both of which were Jackie Wilson covers, uh, and then one minor hit. <laughs> in the late 80s as a solo artist. And also, he sang the cover of Higher uh, by Jackie Wilson in Ghostbusters 2 for the psycho-reactive slime in the toaster. So this guy really did kind of build his career on Jackie Wilson's, uh, you know, legacy. Yeah, good for him. He had the moves, I gotta say. Yeah, yeah. Real uh, high-caliber uh, impression of Jackie Wilson. Yeah, he's got the little froggy voice, you <laughs> yeah. know, the whole thing. <laughs> that's. I think that's it for the cameos, so. though, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm... Oh, I, I was always upset they never um, portrayed Dion because he was yeah. on the tour oh, yeah, as well. They, they mentioned it. They are like, Dion has a cold. Or, or no, one of the Belmonts is sick or something. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is he in the Buddy Holly story? I don't believe so, don't no. Huh. Actually, the so. Buddy Holly story is also just, like, so completely made up that... <laughs> oh, yeah. It's also, like, three hours long. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of full full songs. I'm so excited play. to see it. <laughs> That's great. Let's talk about uh, the tragic end of the film. I guess we got to do it. You have to. Uh, I know. I know. So... We know it's Richie's last show. Right before he plays, he has a really bad cold. He just feels the urge to call home. He calls his house. No one is home, but he does get to talk to Bob one final time. And there is like an ominous sort of air to this conversation. Just a lot of weight to it. Just like, Bob, you know, I really love you. I, I don't remember what he says, but it's, it's heavy. Right. Um, they make up. They make up. So he plays the show. And then we kind of just see everybody congregating outside the plane. And this is a real detail. There was a coin toss between him and Tommy Alsop, who was in Buddy Holly's band, about who was going to get the seat on the plane. And Richie won. And Waylon Jennings. Oh, no, Waylon Jennings wasn't in the coin Waylon toss, Waylon Jennings right? gave his seat up to somebody else. I think the big bopper. The big they, bopper, yes. Yeah. yeah, they maximized headliners uh, in the plane crash. Yeah. Right. And the coin toss, right. So that was with so Tom, was with Tommy. Tommy Alsop, yeah. And apparently, though, that whole tour I was reading, it sounded like a nightmare. Like, everybody was getting frostbite on, they were all taking a bus around, and I guess in, like, the final photos, you can see it in, like, their hands, that they have really bad frostbite. Um, oh, my God. I know. And people were getting sick, so everybody was having to sub in each other's bands. Like, I think Buddy Holly was playing in Richie's band, maybe. There was some weird, you know, helping out between the different bands. So that's why um, Buddy Holly chartered that plane, because it was so miserable, and I guess he ran out of laundry. Wow. That's yeah. so relatable. But the coin toss wasn't actually on the uh, tarmac. It was at the surf. <laughs> I read that in the IMDb trivia. <laughs> yeah. You know what? That I hadn't thought about that, but I imagine you can't land a plane directly behind the club. I, so, the day the music died, I feel like seems to represent a 
loss of innocence for people of Richie's generation, just like right around his age group. And uh, there's something just really small scale and tragic about a couple musicians dying in a plane crash. Right, especially that young, 17. And how old was Buddy Holly? Like 22. 22. Insane. Um, yeah, so then the movie wraps up real quick from there. I mean, we basically just see him getting on the plane and then it kind of cuts to... Uh, Connie. Is that the mom? Mom. <laughs> Connie, Rosie. Yeah. <laughs> laundry, laundry. Yeah. Um, during the time when the radio announcer says that they chartered the plane because the bus was too cold, that's when you see Bob Keen listening and he takes his hat off. Feels really bad. And of course, Bob is working on a car or whatever. Yeah. The, and he loses it, man. Yeah. He runs straight to straight to mom, doesn't believe it. And he goes out to that bridge. Bob goes, is, well, goes to a bridge. Yeah. A bridge over some very shallow <laughs> water. And flashes back to oh, just about a year earlier when he and Richie are running up a hill. And he clutches the railing on the bridge with two hands. He looks down. And from deep within, he screams, Richie, to the heavens. Richie. Did I describe that accurately? Sleepwalk by uh, Santo and Johnny is playing. Also in that, used at the very favorite. beginning yeah, of the movie, Yeah, book ends too. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> What's that sound? Yeah. No. Oh. Wait, check it out. Oh my nice. God. Thank you for providing that. Wow. Bob really, I mean, really just a guttural wail of despair. Well, what do you think, man? Pretty good. I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. Jeez. I mean, can you imagine? No. Wow. <laughs> I'm just now. I'm upset. I'm talking to think. About I'm it. upset too. This was supposed to be fun. Yeah. Well, now it's not fun. Well, Thanks so a lot, guys. let's finish with this. And this was a means question to Ryan, but I think it it's worth repeating. So, what are you guys? A Richie or a Bob? Oh, <laughs> I like to think I'm not nearly as much trouble as Bob, but Richie is a perfect angel. angel of human being <laughs> so being a flawed human i i'm forced to say i'm a bob but as we learn there's always room for redemption bob starts the movie as a, a drunken ex-con dope slinging biker and ends it as a uh, sober father and uh, budding illustrator so you know you never know what's in the cards that's right. I mean, you know, I always kind of felt more like Richie, to be honest. But, you know, the, everyone's got a little bit of Bob in them. I, I mean, I got to say, yeah. you know. And the, to go, you know, with the, the Twin Peaks background, if you think about that a little bit, too. <laughs> and Bob, that's crazy, right? A lot of bad Bobs out there. A lot of bad Bobs. What about you, Kathleen? Do you see yourself as a Bob or a Richie? Uh, I'll say 
I mean, we all aspire to be a Richie, of course. Right, I'm exactly. starting to regret answering first because I don't think I'm nearly as much trouble as Bob, but you guys are apparently, you know, at least part angel. <laughs> In our own minds. I mean, look, Ryan, you've got the rock and roller thing going on, so you've got some Richie, don't worry. Thank you. <laughs> but, you know... I think I think if we had to just choose one, I'd have to choose Richie. And uh, I think it's okay if you want to choose Bob. <laughs> Kathleen, what if you only had to choose one? 50-50, huh? <laughs> oh, man. I mean, it's like choosing between the angel and the devil. Yeah, but, you know, it's like... Edge of their seats here. The listeners are gonna. There's gonna be a lot of, you know, yeah. fan mail about. Let this. us know, Kathleen. Choose a side. Oh man, I mean, maybe currently, currently a Bob, but aspiring, ever aspiring As, towards a Richie. Aspiring Richie. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, I I respect that. That is an honest <laughs> answer. Yeah. Thank you. I, I just hope it's not too late to be Richie. You know. Well. Like you said, as this as this film um, taught us, it's never too late unless until it is too late. And so you know, it it's important to it's a good reminder to live in the now. Tell and, tell your friends, your, your family, best. you love them. Let me love them, hug them, but don't hug them. Don't get on a privately chartered airplane. Don't yeah no. That's yeah, actually kind of true. Exactly. I mean, uh it's been what month and a half since uh, Kobe Bryant died. That was, uh, that was also shocking and tragic. That's right. He's like the Richie Valens of our generation. In many ways, yes. True. Just a, little, a little bit of Bob. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, fairly wide Bob streak. <laughs> I love Bob. Well. Still, the whole necklace thing was kind of messed up that he broke it off Richie's neck, but we're not going to blame him, right? Right. We're going to, yeah, we're not going to blame him. We're going we're gonna to forgive and move on. Yeah, if you can't handle my Bob, you don't deserve my Richie. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, would love that meme, if we can get that going. Well, uh, Amin, thanks for joining us. Oh, yeah, and real quick, um, Amin's a great musician. You should check out any of his various projects, which are all great. Um, I mean, you've got an album with your group Bebop Alula coming out on April 20th. Is that correct? That is correct. Coming out digitally. Um, we'll, we'll, you know, we'll see a physical release sometime in the near future, but for now it'll be available on all streaming platforms and Bandcamp, uh, Bebop Alula. Dot net. Dot net. That's right. Dot com is taken, but. Uh, dot net is solid. It's all, yeah, dot net is cool. It like really reminds me of the 90s. And, CompuServe. I don't know. It just feels good. Yeah, yeah, it just feels good. Into it. Great. Well, thanks for joining us, and hopefully we'll be back soon with more Rock and Roll Film Club. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor to be your first guest. And I, what, uh, it could, I couldn't think of a better film for you to have chosen than. Great, great film to start with. All right. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
Thanks, everybody. Bye.